Well, good morning. Glad that you are with us again here at Fellowship of Grace. And uh, by the way, if you are a guest with us this morning, uh, let me reassure you, uh, I, I am not the uh, drummer who's getting to preach today. I, uh, I'm the pastor who fills in for the drummer when he's not here. Uh, now, some, to some of you, that doesn't make any difference, but uh, we had a, a family visit us one time, and, and uh, it was a, a week when Corey was gone, and I played the drums, and I got up to preach, and they thought, oh my goodness, they're letting the drummer preach? I know some drummers. They shouldn't do that. And I thought, well, I know some drummers too, and they're probably right about that. I don't know. But anyway, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We had a great time with our children and grandchildren. And, of course, our four grandsons just wear me slick, and then they go home, which is awesome. But we love having them over and love spending time with them. And, man, I just they got a lot of energy. I wish we could bottle that. I was thinking uh, uh, this week as uh, Thanksgiving was going on that uh, I remember uh, hearing a story one time about a man who, who received a parrot a few uh, days before Thanksgiving. And the parrot, as soon as he got it, it just insulted him and, and, and just criticized him every second. And he tried to get it to say something different, but it just wouldn't stop. It just kept mocking him and criticizing him and all of that. And so he finally, you know, towards the end of the day, he just got tired of it and he so he took the parrot and he put it in the freezer for a few moments. He thought that'll cool him off and kind of, you know, chill him out a little bit. And he was listening really carefully to the freezer. And after about 15, 20 seconds, he didn't hear anything. So he thought, oh, well, maybe I left him in too long. So he opens the freezer up and takes the bird out. And the bird was just shivering. And it said, I'd just like to apologize for everything I've said. I, I'm really sorry for ever insulting you or saying anything bad about you. But can I, I do have one question. What in the world did the turkey do? <laughs> so anyway, I have a... Well, listen, we have been in the book of Acts uh, now for almost a year. We started in, back in January. We took a couple of breaks, uh, but we've been in the book of Acts, and it's been really uh, hopefully enlightening to you, and it's been enlightening to me to just review things that I've read uh, many times. And uh, as I train and teach other church planters for the Missouri Baptist Convention, uh, one of the qu- uh, questions that they always ask me is, what's your favorite church planting book? Uh, because one of the things about church planters and when I uh, use the term church planters, I'm talking about people who, who plant or start a new church. Uh, every church planter who has any level of success, really, over time, eventually writes a book about it. And if you read all of these books, uh, they all eventually contradict one another because we all think that the way we did it is the right way. And, of course, uh, God uses a whole lot of different ways. So they always want to know which book is the best. And I say, uh, I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual, but the best book on church planting is the book of Acts. There is no better book on church planting uh, than the book of Acts. Nothing comes close. And so if you want to know and see how to uh, plant churches and spread the gospel, the book of Acts is the book to read. And so that's one of the reasons why we felt like it was really important to go through it. Um, And we'll talk about that more towards the end. But today we're going to complete uh, the second uh, missionary journey of Paul. We just have a few verses to go over, and then I want to review some stuff with you because there's some things, uh, as we move towards the end of the book, there are some things in the book that I want you to remember. I know you're probably not going to memorize everything about the book. You're not going to remember, did Paul go to Ephesus or Corinth first? It it probably doesn't matter if you remember that or not, but there are some things that are really important for you to remember, and so we're going to review those just a little bit at the end of today, at least a couple of them. Uh, But let's look, we're in chapter 18. Uh, Derek uh, did a great job uh, last week talking about uh, Paul in Corinth and how he met uh, Priscilla and Aquila there and how they kind of joined his team and were working with him. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were probably uh, the first kind of family missionaries 
uh, both of them working together on mission. And uh, they actually leave Corinth uh, with Paul. So we're going to pick up Acts chapter 18. Today we're going to look at verses 18 through 22. This is the end of his uh, second missionary journey. And I know some of you are saying, well, if it's the end of the second missionary journey, it's such a big deal. Why did they take it to the end of the chapter? Uh, just a reminder, all of the numbers in your Bible, the, the verses and chapters and all that, they've been added in. Uh, the guys, when they were writing these letters and writing these histories, they were not writing all the numbers and the chapters in. So they've been added later, so that's why sometimes it doesn't make any sense. But let's start in chapter 18, uh, starting with verse 18. It says, Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Censoria he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills. He set sail for Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. So those are the verses we're going to take a look at today. And I want you to see the first thing that happens is Paul leaves Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila. Let's go back to verse 18 for just a minute. It says, Paul, having remained many days longer in Corinth, we were just reading about that, took leave of the brethren and put out the sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. Now look at this next sentence. In Centuria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. Now, it's clear that Paul leaves Corinth and he takes with him Priscilla and Aquila and they go, uh, they begin this uh, trek uh, to Syria and they're going to stop off in Ephesus, we're going to see here in a few minutes. Uh, what does this, what in the world does this sentence mean? In Centuria he had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow. Well, let me say that this is perhaps one of the most vague sentences in the entire Bible. Okay, uh, uh, when you study God's word, some people get really frustrated because they say, I, wa I want to know everything that it says. I, I want to know everything. And, and the Bible just answers all questions of mankind. Listen, folks, reading and studying God's word is not going to answer all of life's questions. Okay, the Bible does not contain the full mind of God. What it does contain is an absolute 100% understanding of how to know God, how to connect with him through his son, Jesus Christ, and how he wants us to live in community with one another and in fellowship with him. It answers all of those questions. Uh, if you read uh, scholars and theologians through the centuries, uh, you can read for months and months and months about this sentence, and nobody has a clue what it means. Here's some possibilities, and then we're going to just move on because we can't know what it means anyway, all right? <laughs> Interesting thing is, uh, in the Greek language, it's very much similar to English in that if I say to Derek, hey, Derek, would you run and get me some, uh, uh, some lunch, which he, I never ask him to do, and then, he and then I say he drove really fast, you'll know that I'm talking about Derek because the word he comes right after, in the next sentence, right after his name. So the... Uh, it looks like, uh, in this particular uh, sentence, the he is actually Aquila. It's not Paul. But the confusion comes because in the next sentence, he does re refer to Paul. We know that absolutely because of the context of the sentence. And so we don't know where the he changes. Does it change before this verse so that it's talking about Paul? Or does it change after this verse so that it's actually talking about Aquila? Now, Having your hair cut 
uh, and having anything to do with a vow uh, might communicate might communicate some kind of a, a connection to a Nazarite uh, a vow where you don't cut your hair and don't drink any alcohol for a period of time. And while you're doing this vow, I promise to do this for three months. And while you're doing this vow, you don't cut your hair, you don't drink any alcohol uh, or any strong drink. Uh, perhaps it means this, but we don't know. Uh, we don't know what the vow is. We don't know why he was keeping it. We don't know who was keeping it. In fact, as you can see, the more we talk about the verse, the more questions we have and no answers. Okay? And so we're going to move on. Listen, I want you to be okay with that. I, I want you to be careful never to get frustrated when you're studying and reading God's Word and you come across something and you're just like, I just want to understand this. I'm going to, I'm going to go on the internet and I'm going to study it. I'm going to look what all the theologians say and I'm going to read commentaries and I'm going to read what all the greatest theologians of history say about this verse. And the reality is, uh, the ones who are honest say it could mean this, 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 or this, and you've read 20 pages, and at the end it goes, but I really don't have any idea, because we just don't know what it means, okay? I want you to be okay with that. It doesn't mean that God's word isn't understandable. It doesn't mean that we throw out the baby with the bathwater. I said that to somebody the other day, and they're like, what? What does that got to do? Uh, you know, if you think about uh, bathing a baby, if you, you know, in the olden days when we didn't have uh, inside bathrooms, you know, you'd throw the baby water, or the, the bathwater, uh, not the baby water, the bathwater out the window or out the door. Well, you don't want to leave the baby in the bassinet and throw it out with the bathwater, okay? So don't get frustrated about God's word when you come across something like this you can't understand. We've already spent too much time on it. Let's move on. Okay, so Paul leaves Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila. Now, something interesting happens. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila at Ephesus. Look what it says in verses 19 and 20. It says, they came to Ephesus, and by the way, that's about a third of the way uh, to where they're going in Syria, and he left them there. Now, he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. Now, this is an interesting thing. If you remember, what's the pattern we've seen? Paul goes into a city. He preaches the gospel to the Jews. Some receive it. Some reject it. He preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. Some uh, accept it. Some refuse it. And then uh, persecution starts happening. It gets really hot in that city. And, and at some point, the guys around Paul and his ministry team say, Paul, we got to get you out of here because we don't want you to get killed. We want you to move on to the next city and preach the gospel. Uh, we don't see that here uh, in Ephesus. It's a very interesting thing. It looks like Paul is saying, you know, here they're saying, hey, can you stay a while? Can you stay? We, we love what you're teaching us. We love hearing the gospel. Can you stay a while and teach us more? And he says, guys, I've got to move on. It's very interesting. But what he does, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there to help uh, with, uh, move forward the gospel. He leaves them there to teach others and disciple others there in Ephesus. And so he leaves part of his team behind, and he goes on. The next thing he does is he expresses his plan to return under the providence of God's will. Here's what he says. It says, When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills. Then he set sail for Ephesus. Now it's interesting. Paul here has learned a very important uh, 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 truth about following God. Paul had an idea of where he was going. If you remember at the beginning of this second missionary journey, he had some plans. 
His plan was to move into northern Asia and, and spread the gospel throughout all of northern Turkey and north of there. And the scripture said twice, the Holy Spirit stopped him from preaching the gospel. The Spirit of Jesus stopped him from preaching the gospel. And you ask the question, why in the world would Jesus do that? Because uh, that's when he received the vision of the man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Paul went to Macedonia, and I'll show you that on a map here in a little bit. Paul went to Macedonia, and uh, that's the southern tip of, of Europe. And the gospel exploded throughout all of Europe. Uh, the civilization was much further down the road, uh, literally, because they had roads. Uh, they didn't have any roads in Asia, really. They had paths, but no roads. They had, uh, were starting to have some paved roads uh, in Europe. And the gospel spread like wildfire throughout all of Europe. Paul had plans, but God continually changed his plans. If Paul had a plan to go into a city for a certain amount of time, I don't know how he would do that after the second or third city because everywhere he went, he stayed except for Ephesus. He stayed until the persecution got so hot that he needed to leave so he could preach the gospel somewhere else. I want to remind you that he ne we never saw that he left out of fear. We never saw that he left out of uh, uh, fear of his own life or the persecution. But he left in order to pr uh, pr promote and preach the gospel in another city. So here we see uh, that Paul expresses his plan, but he says, listen, if God wills. Now, we're going we're to come back to this in a little bit, but you know, I think it's a good lesson for us. We make a lot of plans in our lives, but I think it'd be really good if we really always think in the back of our minds, unless God decides otherwise. We'll come back to that. After he expresses his plan, he returns to Antioch, his sending church. Look what it says in verse 22. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. Now, if you remember, this was the church that sent him. Uh, this was the church that, in a sense, uh, set him aside, uh, ordained him for the purpose of sharing the gospel on this missionary journey. By the way, that's why we do that. Whenever anybody is sent from our church to do anything on mission, uh, whether it's some guys going to the uh, prison ministry for the weekend, or whether it's some people going to the Philippines, or, or a team of people going, you know, wherever, it doesn't matter for how long, it doesn't matter for how far, we always have them come down here and we pray over them. When we lay our hands on them, uh, it's not some kind of weird hocus-pocus stuff that's going on. What we're doing is we're symbolizing the fact, I'm, I'm giving you the authority to represent this church and the kingdom of God on our behalf. We're saying, hey, as a church, we're setting you aside for a specific purpose. That's what they did uh, for the Apostle Paul and for his team. They set them aside to go on this missionary journey. And so he comes back uh, to his sending church, the place where he started. And uh, no doubt they had some great fellowship, and he had a fantastic report to report to them of, of people in these cities, city after city after city after city, receiving the gospel and giving their lives to Jesus Christ. Now, that's pretty much all that happens here in these, in this, uh, these verses uh, and the end of this missionary journey. I want to talk for a little bit about a little bit of review of church growth. Uh, the book of Acts has three very specific uh, growth uh, reports and uh, um, most people um, acknowledge the first two. I think the third one's pretty clear, as I'll show you, uh, but a lot of people don't talk about it. But let's talk about the three growth reports, and the first one is this. The church grows numerically. 
There are several passages of which I don't have up here, but let me just share with you a few that are uh, dealing with this numerical growth. In Acts 2.41, it says, That day about 3,000 souls were added. In Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts 4.4, And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Acts 16.5, So the churches increased in number daily. There are several other reports that talk about this numerical growth. I've said this before, I'll continue to say it. God is interested in numbers. Not because he wants uh, you to go to work and tell somebody how big your church is. Not because he wants me to go uh, to a pastor conference and brag about how many people have received Christ here. He's interested in numbers because still in Clay and Platt counties, there are 250,000 people who don't know Jesus as their Savior. I know some of you have gone to this church for a long time. You said, I thought you used to say 220. I did. It's 30,000 more now. We've got two less Baptist churches that have closed their doors in the last 60 days. And we've got 30,000 more people who don't know Christ as their Savior. Folks, Jesus and God are interested in numbers because for every number, there is a person's eternal soul attached to it. He's not interested in bragging rights. He's not interested in us, uh, you know, having some kind of ego about numbers. He's interested because he loves people and he wants them to come to him. And guess what? If we love what he loves, we should love that too. We should love that too. We We should never, ever, ever be satisfied with the growth numerically of our church. When the guys were putting in the carpet, we were talking about the church and how God's blessed us in the last year and a half or so. And, and one of the guys says, how, how big do you want your church to grow? And I said, by 250,000. He said, what? I said, well, in Clay and Platt counties, within driving distance of our church, that's how many people there are that don't know Jesus. That's how many people I want to come here and receive Christ as their Savior. And folks, you should want that too. You should want, now we don't have, I got it. I'm not an idiot, okay? There's not, there's not room in this, in this building. We'd have to have services 24 hours a day, seven days a week to get 252,000 people through here and we still couldn't do it. But that's why we need more churches. We'll talk about that in a minute. But folks, God, I want you to see from those verses, God is interested in the church growing numerically. God is also interested in the church growing spiritually. Look at these passages. Acts 6, 7. And the word of God spread. Acts 12, 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Acts 19, 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now listen, God's word, God's truth is not ever expanding. Okay, I want you to understand this. God's truth is not ever expanding. God's not continuing to reveal more new truth. What it's saying there is that the truth is being rooted in people's lives and it's coming out in their behavior and it's affecting society. The word of God is growing because the more that we uh, uh, live it and obey it, the more impact it has on our community. The more the word of God grows in its influence because we're following it, we're obeying it more. So the truth itself doesn't expand, but its influence expands as we Obey it as we follow it. And so uh, there's several places here where it says the word of God grows. 
one of my prayers for our church is that our church will grow spiritually. That we don't only grow in numbers, but we grow in depth. The people that are here grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus. They grow deeper. Their faith is deeply rooted in their lives. Where it's not a thing they do, it's the thing they do. We also see, lastly, that the church grows geographically. And I would say that the, where I can't point to a verse that says this, the entire book of Acts is this story of the church growing geographically. Look, look here, this is, the, this is Paul's first missionary journey here on the left. And this is his second missionary journey on the right. Now keep in mind, uh, before Paul left, we have virtually almost no record of Christianity being anywhere but between Jerusalem and Antioch. So Paul goes on this first missionary journey, and he hits about 8 to 12 cities. Now, the reason I can't be exact in that number is because sometimes it says Paul went into a city, but the Bible doesn't record what happened there. So I don't know if we count that or not, okay? But somewhere between 8 and 12 cities here in his first missionary journey. On his second missionary journey, there were over 20. Now, I don't know how, how good you do maps, but let me just help you a little bit here. Here's the island of Cyprus, and here are the Rhodes Islands here, okay? And all of this took place right in this part between the two of them. Over here, here's Cyprus on the second missionary journey, and here's the Rhodes Island there. So his first missionary journey stayed right in this area right here. That's all the further the gospel had expanded. But in the second missionary journey, this is where he wanted to go up into northern uh, uh, Bithynia and Pontus up here into northern Asia. And God kept him from doing that because he wanted him to get over here to Macedonia. And he came to these, uh, remember Thessalonica and some of these other cities here in Europe so that the gospel could spread north, which it does. So you can see here that the gospel is spreading geographically. It's, it's just moving out. Uh, by the way, there's a couple of places on the internet if you can find them. Uh, I didn't have any way to download this and show it to you, but there's a couple of places you might want to look, maybe on YouTube, uh, where it's, if you uh, Google um, growth of the Christian church or growth of Christianity, you'll see like timed maps. So you can actually see, you know, kind of year by year how it grows and how it expands. And so we see that the, the, the whole book of Acts really is a testimony of how the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, spreads uh, geographically throughout the world. Now, what are the application takeaways for us? First of all, I want you to remember this. If, if somebody asks you sometime, how does the church grow? I want you to be able to really remember. Again, I don't care if you remember whether Paul went to Ephesus or Corinth first. It doesn't matter. But it does matter that you know how the church grows. It grows numerically. It grows spiritually. And it grows geographically. Now, in our church, it's, in the next six months, it's going to grow some other way that I don't even know is in the Bible but because we're going to have a dozen babies in this church, you know? Uh, I don't know how that's going to work. But uh, anyway, that's kind of a growing numerically. As those kids are raised and their parents uh, lead them to Christ, um, they, will, they will know at Christ and they'll, that will grow the church numerically. I'm not recommending that as the strategy, but it helps, okay? So what are the application takeaways for us? First one's this. Plan your life, but understand that God's will and providence are in charge. Listen, Paul didn't say, hey, I don't plan for tomorrow. I just, I just take it day by day. I just, just willy-nilly through life. I don't have any plan. He had plans. But folks, his plans were almost always thwarted by God. 
It's fine for us to plan, uh, you know, jobs and college and, and where we live and all these big decisions. It's fine to plan those things. But at the end of the day, folks, in the middle of our plan, God may take us another direction. Paul had an absolute plan to move into northern Asia, and God stopped him. Was Paul out of God's will by, by not doing what his plan was? No. He was only in God's will by following what God was leading him to do and not doing his plan. So folks, go ahead and make plans, but I think it'd be really good uh, for us almost to, to work this into our conversation, into our, our language. You know, uh, hey, I'm planning on doing this for Christmas, if God wills or if God allows. I got lots of plans in my life. You know, one of my plans is, is, is to retire here at Fellowship of Grace or, or die preaching right here, either way. Um, uh, but, you know, a lot of things can happen. Maybe God will call me to be a missionary. Uh, maybe God will call me to pastor another church. M- maybe, maybe you'll just get tired of looking at me. Who knows? It could be a thousand different things. A thousand different things. But you make plans, folks. But at the end of the day, our lives are in his hands, and we need to remember that. We need to remember, and we need to accept it and embrace it. Because guess what? God's plan is always better than ours. Always, always, always better than ours. So make plans, but understand that our, our lives are really in his hands. You know, um, <clears throat> Rick Warren uh, wrote a book. Uh, most of you know The Purpose uh, Driven Life, but he wrote a book also called The Purpose Driven Church. And in that book, he kind of talks about this because he says, as a church planter, uh, you work as though it all depended on you, knowing the whole time it all depends on God. I think that's good advice. What he's saying is, listen, uh, don't just say, oh, God will take care of it and be lazy. Work hard. Do what you need to do. But at the end of the day, realize, you know, it's all up to God. You know, Fellowship of Grace, you know, 10 years ago, this church wasn't even in, in existence. And yet here it is. And we worked hard. Man, we worked hard to grow this church, to get it off the ground, all those kind of things. But at the end of the day, I, I can't change anybody's heart. Kendall can't change anybody's heart. Derek can't change anybody's heart. You can't change anybody's heart. God has brought people here. And so you work hard. You plan life. You go at it with all, your, you know, all the gusto you can. But at the end of the day, we just need to really accept the fact that God's in charge. I think that's a good takeaway for us. And then here's the other one. We should constantly be evaluating our church's efficiency in growing God's kingdom numerically, spiritually, and geographically. This is one of the ways that we constantly evaluate our church. As elders, we talk about this. We, we talk about the balance of these things. You know, if you have a church that only grows in numbers, you lead a lot of people to Christ, but there's no, there's no spiritual growth. You get a, 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 a church full of babies uh, that, that don't treat each other right, that don't act right, and, and it's just a mess. If you get a church full of just people who've, who've been deeply discipled, but they never share the gospel with anybody, you have no new life in your church, uh, they wind up all singing kumbaya and still staring at each other's belly buttons and just having their own little knit group, you know, and, and that's just, they just all just sit around talking about how discipled they are. You gotta have all these things. So let me talk about how it works, Okay. I want to challenge you, I want to challenge you that as part of God's church, it's partly your responsibility to grow this church numerically. Folks, you, I'm telling you, there are 250,000 people 
in Clay and Platt counties, which most of you live in, that don't know Christ as their Savior. As you walk at Zona Rosa or wherever you go uh, in Clay and Platt counties to shop for the Christmas season, I want you to think about this as you're walking down the, uh, the sidewalk. That means that only one out of ten people in Clay and Platt counties know Christ as their Savior. So as you walk down, I want you to go, he does, she doesn't, he doesn't, she doesn't, he doesn't, she doesn't, he doesn't, she doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he does. And just do that. Because that will help you to just understand how many people there are in our counties, right here in our backyard, that need to know Christ. And by the way, uh, I, I, I want to remind you what Luke 10.2 says. It says, listen, the field is white and ready to be harvested. The problem is not the field. The problem is not that nobody wants to hear the gospel. The problem isn't that God isn't working on people's hearts. That scripture says the problem is there's no laborers. There's nobody out there picking. Folks, we gotta go out, we gotta go out and labor. We gotta share the gospel with people around us. I wanna challenge you to do that. Listen, as Derek uh, is gonna, uh, I think you already mentioned, or maybe it was the first service, but this is the one from now until Christmas is the time of year that most people who never come and darken the door of a church will be open to coming. And the number one reason that people don't come to church and they say they've never come to church is because nobody ever invited them. What a shame. Okay? So I want to challenge you on that. Also, our church needs to grow spiritually. I want to challenge you to grow spiritually. Uh, all of us need to take our next step. Listen, we're all at different places in our life. We're all at different places in our spiritual journey, but all of us should be concerned about taking our next spiritual step. We should all be concerned about what is the next thing God wants me to do? How can I grow more? How can I take another step? And then encourage those around you to do the same. It's important that we do that. And then lastly, geographically. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know, with this technological age and uh, with, uh, you know, the world like it is now, I mean, hasn't the gospel been everywhere? Oh, there might be this little uh, group of people in the deepest, darkest parts of Africa or on the tip of Australia who haven't heard the gospel. But doesn't everybody else know the gospel? If that's what you think, I want to challenge your thinking. I want to challenge your thinking this morning because I'll tell you something. I am constantly amazed at the number of people I sit down with at Panera or Caribou Coffee or, or McDonald's or any other place, and when I share the gospel with them, I, I usually talk about it, and I, I'm a visual guy, so I kind of draw it out so they can see it. I can't tell you how many people actually point to it, and they say, I've never heard that. I, I, I've never, I, listen, I know a lot about Jesus. I know he was born in a manger thing, and, and I know he has something to do. I know they killed him on a cross because he was a good guy, and they, they were picking on him, and they didn't like him, so they killed him. I know that stuff, and, you know, I, I, I know, you know, the people go and worship him, and he was a good guy. But listen, if you walk down that sidewalk in Zona Rosa and ask people, tell me who Jesus was, the majority of them won't be able to tell you. I want you to spread the gospel geographically in your own neighborhood, because there are people across the street from you, and down the street from you, and behind your house that don't know the gospel. It's never been sure. They don't know that they are a sinner. They don't know that they can't do anything about their sins. I'm telling you, I'm just telling you guys, <laughs> there are so many people in our culture that think if I just do enough good stuff, 
it'll, it'll you know, fix the balance, and my good stuff will outweigh my bad stuff. Okay, those people don't know the gospel. They don't know that Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for their sins. They don't know that by faith and trust in what he did on the cross, they can go to heaven. They can have him be a part of their lives. If they'll just turn from their sins and turn to Jesus and give him their lives, by faith, he will save them and he will live inside them and change and transform their lives. They don't know. Not all of them, not all 250,000 people are rebellious and antagonistic towards Jesus. The fact is, nobody has ever just sat down with them and shared the gospel with them. So I want to challenge you. Grow the church geographically by going across the street, by going down the street, by going to your work. You know, as we look at Paul and the way that he shared the gospel... You never see him say, I was going to share Jesus with these people, but I was afraid. I was going to share the gospel with these people, but after what, I took, after what happened in that last city, man, I was afraid they were going to beat me to a pulp. I didn't want any part of that. You don't ever see him expressing anything like that. But we're afraid people are going to make fun of us. We're afraid people are going to say, you're a fanatic. You're kind of crazy. You're kind of out there, aren't you? We're afraid that we'll lose our jobs if we share the gospel with people at work. Let me ask you a question. How many people in our church have lost their jobs because they shared the gospel at work? Anybody? Anybody at all? Raise your hand if you have. You see, we're afraid of something that doesn't happen. Oh, could it happen? Possibly. But it doesn't. It could. But it's not like it's rampant. Folks, we've got to stop being afraid. We need to see, we need to push back the kingdom of darkness and see God's kingdom grow here. We evaluate it constantly as leaders in our church. But I need to let you know that it's not something we can do without you. It's something that God wants us all to be involved in. And so I want you to think about how you can participate in helping grow God's kingdom numerically, spiritually, and geographically. You know, another way that we can grow the church geographically is to plant more churches in Clay and Platt counties. Now, it's my goal, and I've said this publicly before, it's my goal that before I retire or die, our church is part of planting 20 more churches. Now, we planted a church back when we were running about 110, 120, and we sent 25 or 30 of our best people that wanted to go, that felt called to go, and it it hurt us bad. I mean, when you lose a fourth of your church, it cripples you. And, of course, these are people who were serving and were tithing and were, were, you know, really on board. They're leaders. And they planted another church, and we were glad to to see them do that. But what we learned from that is we need to grow to the place where, uh, you know, we can send out uh, 30 people, and it's 10% of our church instead of 25%. But I want you to think about something. I I want you to pray about leaving Fellowship of Grace. I want to put that in your mind now. Not today, okay? Not, not this week, but three years down the road or five years down the road or 10 years down the road. I think all of you should be a part of planting a church sometime in your life. You know, Kendall and Tracy Hale, when I approached them about Fellowship of Grace, before anybody had joined the launch team at all, before one single person had said, I'm in to plant Fellowship of Grace, when it was nothing but an idea and a presentation, 
we shared it with them. Julie and I sat down with them and shared it with them. Kendall, you know, Kendall's kind of a risk taker, kind of a, he doesn't think so, but I think he is on some things. And, you know, he was kind of like, oh, that's cool, that's new, that's awesome. I'd love to do that. Tracy's like, no way. Get out of my house. I don't want to see you again. I don't, I don't like you. I, I'm in a church that I love with people I love. I love the pastor. I love the leaders. I love the people. I love the worship. I love the music. I love everything about my church. There is no way I'm ever leaving. I'm like, okay, it's just not God's will. Two or three weeks later, she was all in. God just worked on her heart and, and brought her to be a, a key part of starting Fellowship of Grace, the two of them. Now, listen, I want you to know, guys, I, I hope you love our church. I love our church. I want you to love, I want you to love everything about it. But, but when you follow Christ, sometimes you have to give up what you love to see the kingdom grow. And so I want all of you to be praying and thinking about joining a launch team sometime in the next 10 years and leaving Fellowship of Grace uh, to, to be a part of a church plant. Now, most pastors would say I'm a complete idiot for saying that. But guys, I'm, not, I'm, just, not, I'm just not about building this kingdom. I'm all about building the kingdom. And, and, and listen, if I die and Fellowship of Grace is still at 200 people, but we've planted 20 more churches in town, whew, I'll be ready to go. I'll be ready to go. Okay? So it's not about growing this kingdom. It's about growing the kingdom. Let's, and I want you to think about, while God has placed you here and you need to be a solid 100% member here, uh, God is about growing the kingdom, and he may use you to be a part of a church plant at some point. So think about that. Pray about that. We've seen Paul do it. We've seen him plant, you know, <laughs> Between the first and second missionary journeys, he's planted close to 30 churches. And he's not done. There's a third missionary journey coming up after the first of the year. Okay? I, I think we can do those kind of things. I think God wants us to do those kind of things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us such clear and concise uh, information about your plan. Father, thank you for Paul being such a, a, a visionary but being so... Um, willing to just follow your plan. God, as we make plans here at Fellowship of Grace, as we uh, strategize, as we do all the things that we do to try and move the kingdom forward, Father, we admit that sometimes uh, you're going to do something totally different. And Lord, we just want to tell you we're in. We're in for your plan. We want to follow your plan. And so God, even though we make plans and we strategize and we want to work hard at growing your kingdom, at the end of the day, Father, we acknowledge that you were in charge of not only our lives, but of our church and of the kingdom. And so we just uh, let you know that we're in. We're in on your plan. Uh, Father, help each one of us find our place uh, in this church and as this church reaches out uh, to be a part of another church plant uh, within the next 10 years or so. Father, we thank you for this Christmas season, and I pray that you would put people in our path who need to be invited to come to Fellowship of Grace uh, to, to hear the gospel uh, at Christmas time and see their lives forever changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.